Those children had to be a hard act to follow, huh? Wow. I'm glad that uh, I didn't have to follow them. Man, that was pretty good. Let me see. I don't know. For some reason. There it goes. Okay. All right. Well, again, uh, wow, what a, what a day already we've had. That slideshow, if you were in the back, you might have had a difficult time seeing it, if, unless you have uh, extremely keen eyesight. But uh, it was worth watching for sure. It was kind of neat. Uh, even up there on my own, I saw my dad with my grandma. And my grandma, she, uh, she was uh, the last days of her life, the last six years, I believe, or so, she, she was in what used to be called nursing homes. They don't call them that anymore, I don't think. But uh, anyway, that's what she was in. And uh, she did extremely well there. And the picture that I saw with my dad and her was there at the nursing home. And uh, she always uh, was always glad to see us, as well as the staff there and people there. She was one of those protectors, you know what I mean? If you, got, you did anything wrong to anybody, she was on you. And so she was good for, the, good for the patients there, you know. One time they had a lady there, and uh, she uh, had kind of made a mess in her room, and, and so they had to strip her down. And when they did, they didn't shut the door all the way. And my grandma went crazy on those staff members. I mean, went crazy. She, she said, you, you know, this woman is such and such an age, and you're, you know, she deserves some dignity, and boy, she went off on them. And, uh, you know, you, you should be more considerate of her feelings, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, she went crazy. So, you know, my grandma was kind of like the uh, watchdog there. But anyway, uh, she, she was something. I just got a kick out of that when I saw my mom and dad there. It was probably in that very same setting she tried to strangle him to death. But anyway, <coughs> she, she really did one time. She, she literally grabbed him around the throat, and my dad said, if you want to kill me, kill me. And she started, Burr. and his face was turning red, and my mom's going, would you both quit it, quit it, quit it. It was crazy. But anyway, you know how it is. Maybe you don't. I don't know. That's just my life. I like the story about the little boy who came into where his mom was and he announced that he had two pieces of candy. And, you know, she kind of asked, she said, well, what are you going to do with them? He said, well, I'm going to eat them. Thinking that that was a great opportunity, a tremendous teaching opportunity, she said to him, well, don't you think you ought to share the candy with your brother? He said, well, I don't have enough to share, so I'm going to eat them myself. Well, it was obvious that he, he needed to be taught a lesson on generosity. And so she, she wittingly said, well, do you, do you think Jesus would do, what do you think Jesus would do if he had two pieces of candy? He said, well, I think Jesus would make two more pieces of candy and give them to my brother. <laughs> yeah. Moms know a little bit about trying to teach children all kind of little, little lessons, don't they? Take your Bible, look over the book of 1 Kings. We're going to look at a couple ladies here today, a couple moms. An unusual couple moms, probably, I, I suppose. I don't know if a number of, I don't know if people preach on these moms often, but let's take a look at them, because they are moms. By the way, I, I want you to realize that moms aren't perfect people. Sometimes people expect them to be. Children especially do, don't they? Children always think mom's supposed to be always fair, 
do everything right, make everything good, and yet mom's just human. I'm glad that children think their moms are superheroes early on, but I also believe that there comes a point they need to realize they need to give them a little bit of slack. These kids were right when they said, we're sorry for driving you crazy. Out of your mind. And boy, children can do that, can't they? They can do that, I'm sure. 1 Kings chapter 3. Did I tell you the wrong place? 1 Kings chapter 3. Somebody said yes, somebody said no. If I was wrong, I'm not as wrong as you. You guys don't even know where you're at. What are you talking about? (laughs) Then again, ladies, you've known that about men a long time, haven't you? It's Mother's Day, guys. I've got to suck up a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 16, all right? Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. It came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She arose at midnight and took my son from between me, from beside me, while thine handmaid slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. When I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. The other woman said, Nay, nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, no, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other said, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. They brought a sword before the king. The king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. They feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. In our account, of course, we're introduced to two women. Two harlots. Two mothers. And one house. These women had children just three days apart from each other. And of course it says and teaches us that during the night the one woman's child died. It appears she had covered it too tightly that somehow it had smothered itself or died in the evening. And at midnight she swaps her dead child for the other woman's living child. And in the morning instead of Having a living, breathing child in her arms, she holds a lifeless 
corpse. At first, her heart begins to break as she thinks that her son is lost, uh, her child is lost. And all of a sudden, as she begins to examine the situation, as she begins to look at it more closely, as she looks at that child, she realizes, this isn't the child that I bore. This is the child that my roommate bore. And of course, this begins a chain of events that ultimately leads them to the king and his judgment. These women are given an audience of the king. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, Solomon is the greatest picture of our Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on the throne that you will ever see and find in the Bible. And yet, isn't it good? May I say this? Isn't it good to know that he had time for harlots? I like that. I mean, this is the king of the land, and this is just a mere couple of harlots. I mean, what would happen today if a prostitute was killed in the streets of Akron or up in Cleveland? Would our detectives and would our police department be so diligent as they would if it was one of the upper echelon ladies? I'm not saying that they wouldn't, I'm just asking the question. Because it seems to me, in society often, we look down on people of this sort. But may I say that the king didn't look down. Instead, he invited them up and he went ahead and he heard their case. I'm glad that we serve a God who doesn't put walls or dividers between the elite and the lowly. Between the upper echelon economically and the lower level. Between that side of the tracks and that side. Now, God is not fond, nor is He tolerant of sin. But He is passionate about people, and He loves all mankind. And there isn't a person in the world that God won't spend time with if only they will enter into His presence. And we see that here. So, before the king they stand, each with their own story, sharing it with the king, going back and forth and over and over again. No, no, that's not my son. That's your son. No, that wasn't my son. That's your son. No, the dead child's your son. No, it's not. It's your son. Finally, the king just says, enough is enough. Hold your peace. Quiet down, ladies. What I hear before me is you say that the dead child is hers. She says it's yours. You say the living child is yours. She says it's hers. Yeah, you got it right, king. And then... The king says, makes a tremendous request. He, he says in verse 24, bring me a sword. <laughs> and they brought a sword before the king. Wow. I mean, he calls for a sword. And all of a sudden, all eyes are on him. Nobody's listening to the ladies anymore. Nobody's watching how they look or how they respond or how they're acting. No, all of a sudden now, as the sword comes out, they follow the sword. Oh my, the sword. They watch it set in front of the king, and there he takes hold of this sword. There it is, the sword. And then the king makes this statement. Divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. Are you kidding? I mean, his solution to this problem is to divide the child in half and give each a portion? I mean, I can only imagine what the baby would say if it could talk. 
I mean, can you imagine? He'd be like, wait a minute, what about me? I mean, don't I get to weigh in on this decision? I mean, it is my body, it is my life. Hey, anybody thinking about the little kid here? Hey, listen, before we get too concerned for this child, I think we need to give the wise king the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he has been a wise king already. This situation will only express it a little bit further and even reinforce it in the minds of the people. But Solomon was already counted wise. He had already been given great wisdom by God. So we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Surely, I mean, was it really his intent to cut a baby in half? Was he really looking forward to slicing and carving and dicing a living child? I don't believe so. I just don't believe so. But the sword would play a major role in this whole ordeal, wouldn't it? Before it's over with, the sword was responsible for exposing the heart of those women, for revealing the truth, for restoring a family, and ultimately exalting the king himself. The sword. And when we read the Bible, we need to be very aware that every Bible passage has three applications. First of all, a doctrinal application. That means the prophetical application or the prophetical side of it. This one shows us, in this particular case, a picture of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the throne of David, ruling and reigning with great wisdom. When you see picture, uh, a picture, uh, you see Solomon here on this throne, he is picturing Christ himself in the millennial reign. It's the doctrinal application of the passage. Then there's the historical application. And again, it's simply historical. 3,000 years ago approximately, a literal king named Solomon ruled on the throne of David and ultimately judged between two women and a baby. It literally happened. Then number three, the inspirational application. That is is the, the application. I mean, they say one interpretation, many applications. The interpretation deals with the prophetical side of of the millennial reign of Christ. But the application that we can make here could be many and varied. And it would not take it out of context. It wouldn't harm or hurt the text. But instead, it would just avail us to a truth. And today, I I believe, I am confident that, that... there's an application that, I'm, that I can make today from the passage that is not a stretch, but is well supported in the passage. I want to go back to verse 24 because this is where we're going to rest and where we're going to begin our, our little application here. Notice in verse 24, he simply says again, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. See, according to the Bible that sword clearly represents something of much greater significance. You say, what do you mean? Take your Bible, look over at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We must hurry today, but Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 12. In this particular passage, we're going to see what is often called the armor of God. It's listed right here in the pages of the Word of God. Notice what it says, chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 12 through 17. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, watch closely now, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to note the Word of God in light of this passage today. I want to make four simple Applications or note four truths as we make an application to the passage on this Mother's Day, 2012. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for this chance to gather today. Again, Lord, thank you for mothers that have gathered today. Lord, may their hearts be stirred. May they be blessed. May they be encouraged. Lord, their work, their effort, their investment, Lord, is a sacrifice, to say the least. And yet, Lord, they do it willingly sacrificially, on purpose. Thank you, Father, for that kind of dedication, that kind of heart. Now, Lord, may you, Father, show us from your word something that will enable us to be even more dedicated and encouraged and, Father, to be better for you. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice now, very quickly today because of time, I want you to note that the sword exposed the heart. Now, again... We're talking about two women that were harlots, that were mothers. They're standing before the king. He's going to have to make judgment. And I want you to see that he brings out the sword, and it is the sword. It it wasn't just a ruling. No, he brings the sword out. And because of the sword, it's going to reveal the heart of these women. Notice verse 26 of our passage. It says, Then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no way slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. The sword exposed the heart. That sword was brought out, and before the sword was brought out, it was a bunch of cackling and and arguing and fighting and bickering. But all of a sudden, when the sword came out, all eyes were on the sword. All of a sudden, when he said, I'm going to take this sword, and I'm going to divide that child in half, this sword brought about a revealing of the heart. Pretty soon, you have one woman that's fallen, that's broken into pieces, her heart's breaking, compassion and concern well up within her soul. And she looks at that baby and says, no, I don't care. Give her the baby. I want it to live. And the other one says, in a vindictive, angry, bitter tone, kill it. None of us have it. Divide the thing. Who cares? <laughs> the sword exposed the heart. You want to know something? The sword, the Word of God, it exposes the heart today too. I mean, there's nothing that cuts deeper into the heart more effectively than the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Look, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. 
Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read in verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Isn't that interesting again? Boys, making sure we understand how that word of God works. It's a sword. You go all the way back there to 1 Kings chapter 3, you see a sword. You've got to start to wonder, uh-oh, what does that sword have in relationship to the sword of the Spirit? And we're learning right now what it does. First of all, even as the sword in 1 Kings chapter 3 exposed the heart, so does the sword of the Spirit. Notice he goes on to say that that two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eye of him with whom we have to do. See, there are no secrets between you and God today. None. The king simply produces the sword and it exposes your heart before him, ladies and gentlemen. Mom, your heart is an open book to God. His word simply exposes your most guarded portion of the heart. I mean, there's not one room left unlocked before him. He has the key to look deep inside every single closet and every crevice of your heart and mind. There are no stones left unturned in the riverbed of your heart and mind today. See, if there's bitterness, if there's envy, if there's strife hidden and stored away within your heart, maybe even bitterness, envy, and strife that no one else can see, I want you to realize but He sees it. Amen. He sees it. The sword exposed the heart. But number two, the sword revealed the truth. Revealed the truth. Verse 27 of our passage says, Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child and in no way slay it. She is the mother thereof. She is the mother. I mean, that sword was brought out and there was nothing but confusion. And all of a sudden, the sword revealed the truth. It came to the surface. It came to light. And as a matter of fact, the Word of God is truth. In John 17, 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. You know, we live in a society of changing mores and values, don't we? I mean, attitudes are, uh, uh, should I say absolutes, excuse me, are a pastime. Many people choose to redefine what right and wrong is today. But see, I want you to realize today that God's Word is truth. You can't go wrong with this book. See, the danger with redefining right and wrong is that although it may tend to ease the conscience, it doesn't change the truth or the reality. You may feel better because you've convinced yourself that what you're doing is right, it's okay, 
It's socially acceptable. But God's word still condemns it. The truth is, is that our consciences don't become so much soothed as much as they become seared. And pretty soon truth doesn't have its same effect on our life. And we look at our own redefinition of what right and wrong is and we begin to believe it to be so. In Romans chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, why don't you turn there? Romans 3, verses 3 through 4. The Bible tells us here, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. Again, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? You say, well, I know a number of people that just don't believe the Bible anymore. And you know, it's a difficult thing even in my own home because my children have been convinced to some degree that the Bible's not as important as it used to be. It's not as, um, I guess, as practical as it used to be. It's somewhat archaic and old. Therefore, it doesn't apply to us as much or like it used to. Well, wait a second now. Don't let that go unconfronted. That needs to be dealt with. Because, see, it doesn't matter who believes or doesn't believe this book. This book, God's Word, the sword, is true. You say, well, I don't believe everything that's in it. I'm sorry, but it's still true. But I don't agree with everything that's in it. Okay, that may be the case. And you have a right to your opinion. However, it doesn't change the truth. And I don't believe in that place called hell because there's never been a God, if He's truly loved, that would send anyone there. You don't have to agree. You don't have to, to put your stamp approval. You don't even have to tell anyone that you do or don't. All I'm saying is, it doesn't change the truth. It's still in this book. And Thy Word is true. I, I believe today our children need to be raised on truth. I'm confident of it hoping to combat the growing problem of childhood obesity, the Obama administration back in January of 2012 announced its long-awaited changes to government-subsidized school meals, a final round of rules that adds more fruits and green vegetables to breakfast and lunches and reduces the amount of salt and fat. As parents, we try to prepare decent meals, limit how much junk food our kids eat, and ensure that they have a reasonable, balanced diet, Mrs. Obama said in a statement. And when we are putting in all that effort, the last thing we want is for our hard work to be undone each day in the school cafeteria. About 32 million children participate in school meal programs each day. The new rules are a major component of Mrs. Obama's campaign to reduce the number of overweight children through exercise and better nutrition. The rules are the first changes in 15 years to the $11 billion school lunch program. I don't know why that doesn't shock you more than... That shocks the life out of me. $11 billion, Can you imagine that? They will double the amount of fruits and vegetables children are serving in school and will require that all grains served are whole grains. Listen, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I personally don't think government should, should step in and tell us how, how to feed our kids. 
I, I don't know. I mean, I'm hearing some horrible stories about certain things. But, I mean, wanting children to eat more vegetables, wanting kids to eat more healthy, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I think that's pretty positive. That's, that's decent overall. I think at least it's, it shows some, you know, a positive way to express our energies and our desires and try to better our society. I, I don't have a problem with that. But sadly to me, it seems that our government and civil leaders are a little more concerned about the physical diets of our children than they are the moral and ethical diets that are served up in our society and culture every day. It bothers me a little bit when I see the inconsistencies of our government that will feed the junk food of this society and culture and still want to talk about healthy foods for my kids physically. That bothers me. You could teach disrespect and call it a mind of your own. I don't understand that. I still believe children ought to obey mom and dad. I still believe, according to the Word of God, that they are to honor mom and dad. I'm just saying I, I'm, I'm a little bit peeved and a little bit upset with the fact that we can teach our children how to be wicked and sinful and provide condoms in the schools, but we want to feed them vegetables. That bothers me. And I know that didn't go over good with some of you because you agree with that trash. But that's the last thing I want is my daughter to be encouraged to have sex outside of marriage when it goes contrary to the Word of God. Well, at least they won't have a baby out of wedlock. Oh, because that's an economical issue, by the way, that has nothing to do with the government wanting morals in our culture and our society. It's all about economics. If they want to do it right, there's other ways to get it done. But it's certainly not by telling people you can't teach abstinence. Last time I checked, that was a pretty good method of helping the, the, the uh, uh, pregnancy rate of teenagers to drop. But no, that we can't support that because that goes against the cultural trend of our day. Because we are just bodies and we are just mechanical and we are just animals at the root, aren't we? Because we're not really created beings, we've evolved. So you can't expect a teenager to say no to his flesh because that's all he is as an animal anyway. That's what they teach in the kids in school. Well, I don't agree with it. I'm all for vegetables and fruits, even though I don't eat a lot of them. But I'm even more, more concerned about truth being fed to our children. I mean to tell you, Mom, your children need a steady diet of truth. Because we've failed in this area, because it seems today that we've allowed others to define what right and wrong is instead of bringing the sword out. We've put this on a shelf somewhere. And now we're bouncing, we're not bouncing our children on our knees telling them about the truth anymore. The stories and teaching them the songs of Zion. Our children are weak and they're vulnerable like never before due to that lack of truth. It starts in the home. The government was never expected to teach your children about God. You were. No one has more responsibility about teaching them their moral character and instilling moral fiber than you and I today as parents. What they learn, they ought to learn at home. 
You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable teaching. I don't know enough about it. Learn then, because you're responsible. And one day before God, we'll all be held responsible for the outcome of our children's moral character. We can't control what they're taught outside all the time. We can't protect them in some kind of, some kind of pure bubble. We can't keep the negativity and the crit- critical spirit and the cynicalism and all the things that go on. We can't do that, I know. But hold on. We can do our part, and it starts on Mama's knee. If you don't have time to bounce them on your knee, then you better find time, because someone else will be glad to do it for you. And they won't be teaching them truth. We're killing ourselves trying to provide our children with a better way of life while they're feeding on feel-good, that that kind of on a feel-good and enjoy-life kind of diet at any cost. In moral integrity, character, right and wrong, these things are being left out often. I'll tell you what, the Word of God, this sword, revealed the truth. I want truth in my home. I want truth between me and my wife. I want truth between me and my children. I don't like... Listen, I'd rather know that you don't agree with me than to have you act like you do and stab me in the back. I want truth. When it comes to our children, be careful. You're responsible to protect them from anything but this right here. This is truth. That error, you're responsible as a parent to protect them. Say, I'd die for my kid if somebody tried to harm them. I'm sorry to say that we've allowed a generation of our children, it seems to me, to go to the dark side. And we've watched it happen. We've participated in it, it seems. And I want to encourage you today to pull the sword back out. Let's bring the truth to light again. Let's make it first and foremost in the lives of our children. Let's help define what right and wrong is based on this book, not based on what society and culture dictates and defines it. Number three, the sword restored the family. The sword restored the family. In verse 27 it says, Give her the living child. They'd come into that place. The baby was taken and there it was. I'm sure neither one of them held that child. And that king stood there and he didn't know what to do at first. All he knew is that both of them claimed that was their child. And pretty soon he said, bring me the sword. The sword comes out. All eyes are on the sword. And pretty soon that sword restored a family. And I'm going to tell you today, this sword right here will restore your family. I don't know what problems you got in your marriage. I don't know what's going on in your life and with your children. But I can promise you something. I know for a fact that this book right here brings about a good product. This book right here will restore what has been lost in that fall years ago. Whether it's your soul that's lost, He'll save it. He'll find it and restore it. Whether it's your children that have gone astray, He'll he'll search it out. He'll deal with it. And He'll begin to help restore some of those broken relationships. I want you to know the sword of the Spirit is the best way to go. That sword will restore. And finally... I noticed something else. Not only do we note that the sword exposed the heart, that it revealed the truth, restored the family, but finally the sword exalted the king. It exalted the king. 
In verse 28, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. <laughs> when they pulled that sword out, everybody's heart stopped. Oh, great. Divide the child. Man, I mean to tell you, you could have heard a pin drop. At least after all the gas. <gasps> Quiet. Nothing. And all of a sudden, her heart broke for her baby. Let her have it. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Let her have it. Hmm. It revealed the truth. Give her the child. It restored the family. And now, it exalted the king. Man, I mean, after that event, after they saw how God used that king, after they saw how the sword itself brought that great change and how it enabled them to, to, to identify the truth and to restore the family, the people said, Man, that's amazing how the sword did all that. Our king is so wise. That sword was awesome. I'm going to tell you something. This sword always exalts the king. You can't read it. You can't follow it. You can't live it without it exalting the king. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you put this sword, this book into practice, when you begin to teach it and you begin to train your children and when you begin to instill these truths in their life, Ultimately, it's God who gets the glory. Oh, I know somebody's saying, yeah, well, I tried that. My kids didn't turn out and I raised them in the Lord. Hey, listen, I, you, know, you go and say whatever you want. You don't go wrong instilling this in their life. I, I, I've heard of women that prayed for their children for 30, 40, and 50 years, and one day they came to Christ. Don't you tell me that instilling this book, implanting this book in their heart and their life was a waste of time when they were young. Don't you tell me that. I want to encourage women. Here's my thought today. And here it is. This is the thought. This Mother's Day. Mom, make much of the Bible. Make much of the Bible. Make much of it. This is it right here. You realize what you hold in your hand today? Do you realize what you hold in your hand? You, you literally could be the one person... That, does, that literally decides the eternal fate of your child. You, more than anyone else. Abandon the sword. You'll probably lose the next generation, ladies. That's the way it's looking. I can give you names. What kind of church background do you have, young man? I'm a 10th grader. It goes to Springfield High School. I'm an atheist. You're an atheist? What does that mean? Well, it means um, we don't go to 
well, we don't believe in God. We? Mm-hmm. Oh, Steve. You're one of the most pleasant young men I've ever met, Steve. Kind. Good-hearted. But what do you believe about God in the Bible? To be honest with you, I don't even know if there is a God. Mom? It's up to you. Dad? It's up to you, too. We're losing a generation because we've let it go. There has to be a remnant that believes and stands on the truth at all costs. Let's at least teach it, instill it, implant it in the lives of our children. There'll come a day, they'll have to make their own decisions, I realize that, but at least let's do our part to be obedient to God and His Word. Let's get the sword out. Make much of the Word of God, ladies. Make much of the Word of God, men. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We do love you, Lord. Sometimes, Lord, it's easy to get wrapped up in this world and kind of buy into its belief system, its ideology. But, Lord, your Word spells things out for us. It makes things clear. Help us, Lord, as parents, as grandparents, as even young people that are looking forward to having families one day to make a decision to make much of the Bible in our life, in our home, and in our relationships. If we abandon this book, the sword, then, Lord, it will affect our relationships negatively. It will affect our futures drastically. Lord, we can't afford to abandon this book. Help us, Lord, to make much of the Bible. Lord, there might be someone in this room today that doesn't even know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. I mean, they, they believe in God. They, they, they believe in all of those things. They celebrate Christmas and Easter. But, Lord, they don't have a personal relationship with you. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, may you bring great conviction on their heart and life, Lord Jesus. May they just see the need to be forgiven of their sin, to truly turn from it and to allow you to be their Lord and Savior. You died for them on Calvary for a purpose to save them from their sin. Help them even now, we pray. If you died today, do you know 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Do you have it settled? I wonder today, there'd be someone say, Preacher, that's me. I don't have it settled. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. That's me. Please pray for me, Preacher. I, I, I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure. Anybody today, can I pray for you? I don't have it settled today, Preacher. I don't know for sure. Would you just simply raise your hand let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't, I won't bring you up front or anything. I won't make you do anything. Okay? I'm a child of God, preacher. But I've got to admit, as much as I do believe the Bible is the Word of God, there's no doubt. But I haven't made as much about it as I probably should. And I'm going I'm to make much out of the Bible, more than, more than I have been. I'm going to take steps to make it more a part of my life, more a part of my family, more a part of my marriage, more a part of my relationships. I'm just going to let it be more. Make more of it. Father, help us to make decisions that will help us and our families in the future. We love you and we thank you for this absolute truth that we hold in our hands, the Word of God. Help us to apply it to our lives and to allow you to be glorified as a result. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.